This podcast represents the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, and the guests. It should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, but more importantly leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Reviews not only help us grow listeners, but also help us grow as a show, improve our content, and make us better. going to be a rather serious show at least most of it but because it's a rather serious show i think we ought to start not very serious i made a promise to a couple of people that are important to me and i have to keep this promise so naturally i'm gonna start with a poop story (laughs) i'm I'm sorry everyone (laughs) that's the serious part of it sounds like a morning (laughs) we're gonna bleep that (laughs) go ahead there's children there are children that listen (laughs) <laughs> okay look if you want to miss that was crappy if you want to if you want to zoom past this 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 segment that's fine we we give you all of the the chapters and the, the timestamps below so just just move past this and get to the important stuff that's coming later i'm perfectly okay with that but i again i made this promise i'm gonna fulfill it and so I'm going to have to tell the story and then we'll just move on with our lives. So if we here can, it is. If, we, if I can ever move on from this. All this, right. Story time. Has to be done. It's story time. Welcome to the Psych Effects Story Hour. Sit back, relax, and let the doc spin a tall tale that will give you the feels. All right. So I just recently moved offices from one city to another and i said that i would tell the story once i moved out of the old office so have you guys ever had a situation where you had to go so bad that you just weren't paying attention to anything around you you ever had that situation i think probably a lot of just maybe i was was probably was five years old (laughs) (laughs) steph was in the sandbox playing (laughs) <laughs> okay, you know, so happens sometimes. Literally. Okay, all right, good. Well, this is gonna be this kind of segment. Okay, it's gonna be like this. <laughs> so I'm in my office, and I just it just had to happen. Just had to happen. It just came on, right? And I think all of you know what I'm talking about, right? And so we have two bathrooms in that office, and I decided to go to the one that was further away from the offices because I knew it was going to be a crappy kind of situation so i get in there and it's just not something i'm gonna look Uh, i'm just not gonna i'm not i I just had to it just had to happen right and the good thing was that there was no one there right it was just me in the office there's no one there and that was a good thing so i get in there and i'm like pull it off and i sit down and it just it was just it was a disaster and I, I, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's just, you, you've all had this situation where it's just an absolute mess. And, but it felt great, right? Because it feels bad and then it feels great, right? And I'm like, oh, that feels good. 
and it was a good couple minutes of that, right? And so, you know, it's over and everything's good now. And, you know, you do a couple of, do you guys do the, like the courtesy flush at all? Yeah. Well, if yeah, you're in an I office, too. I think you yeah. have to for uh, your employee's yeah. sakes. Do you do it at home for yourself? I always do it like mid-process, like, like in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah, do it. All right. Yeah, I do it for myself too. But so did a, did a couple of those. And then I look over and there's no toilet paper. No toilet paper. Oh, boy. And let me tell you something. It was a mess. A mess. Like it was, it was not where, let's put it this way. There was splashback. It was, it was bad. It wasn't, it wasn't okay. places that it shouldn't be. It right. was in places it should not have been. And there was no toilet paper. And so I'm like, all right, all right. Yeah. Let's keep it cool. There's always toilet paper under the sink. I look under the sink. No toilet paper. I look in the cabinet. No toilet paper. So now, you know, there's a little panic setting in because, you know, you can't just pull it up with this situation. You can't just pull it up and move on with your day. This was in the morning. And um, so there's, uh, there's, there's a problem going on here. And so, like, what would you do in this situation? I'm that's just amazing. Curious. That's a major problem. Were there problem. paper towels? <laughs> well, that was the only option. But you can't flush paper towels. There's no. your toilet. I've, I mean, I've, I've done it. Sue me. You can't. Yeah. No. You can't. You don't want to do that towels. in your own house, right? <laughs> no, you can't. I'm not going to do that because it's my office, and if my office backs up, it's going to be bad. So I wasn't going to be in. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> and flush paper towels. And I can't just dump them in the garbage that's right next to that because that's not a good thing either. And this was a really bad thing. So paper towels were the only option. But now I have a pile of paper towels and I've got no place to put them because I can't put them in the garbage next to the, the toilet. And I can't put them in a garbage in the office. So where do I put them? Well, I decided I was going to put them in the hallway, in the garbage in the hallway. Couldn't you just walk out the building? Couldn't you just... I, I... If you could walk out of the bathroom and put it in the hallway, you could have actually walked out of the building. Yeah. Well, I guess I could have walked out of the building with this pile of... <laughs> <laughs> you already walked out. Walk, I mean, there out. was no garbage bag in the bathroom garbage. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small one. It's like a little quick thing like this. And there was way more than what that needed. I was in a panic, so I didn't think that... You were in through. total sh yeah, it's kind of in a That's panic. what it sounds like. Thank you. Thank you. There's going to be a lot of editing in this segment that I'm oh, going to need to do. I appreciate, I don't think it appreciate needs you to guys be putting I don't think it needs to be We got, I got kids listening to this. I can't have them. They have guess, heard like, the word. Okay. Poop. No, I guess that's true. I guess. Come on. You know, I, kids kids it, are way, are way more. Kids are knowledgeable in that kind of situation. They know. They have no experience with poop. Yes. <sighs> Anywho. They so say it and they don't tell you. put it in the hallway garbage there's only one and it's right next to the elevators and that was in the morning it's in the morning yeah mm -hmm. and there's oh, cameras man. so it's not like i can hide they know who put it in there <laughs> the whole day i thought for sure there's gonna be like bugs and stuff that find it and they're gonna the janitor's gonna come in and like who did this and they're gonna look at the camera and they're gonna find me i was so paranoid for like a week but no, no, got away with it. I got away with it. Did you? But 
<laughs> your your definition story. your definition of getting away getting away with it is way different than mine. <laughs> he got away with a lot of crap. Let's flush this entire second. Break, Suzanne said that I wouldn't do well in jail. But she wouldn't. Mm. You can't speak in public. But that could be a Duh. Amongst <laughs> other reasons. <laughs> but, but, hold on, hold on. But that, that also could be a compliment. Nobody wants to hear, you would do great in jail. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on to more serious topics. The, the thing that blew up this weekend, or this so, week... So uh, over the last two weeks, actually, uh, was this <laughs> Steph? <laughs> I said, it's, I said, I said it's not... no, you need to, you need to be not stuck on that. It's not good okay. for you. The Miralax and move on. Was this this north this northwestern hazing story is huge. It's huge. If you haven't heard of this story and you're into sports, I don't know where you're living. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. But if you're not into sports and you haven't heard the story, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to, I'm going to summarize it for you. It's, it's also triggering, so it's a trigger alert. Yeah, so. I guess we have to, we have to do that right because every story I've read yeah. about it at the at the top of the story says something There's, to the effect of, um, yeah. you know, it, it's it's it contains sexual, yeah, just writing about sexual misconduct or something to that effect. So. So we are going to be talking about that. So if this stuff triggers you, then you probably want to avoid it or move, you know. But we can also summarize it. And then if somebody wants to know bit more about it, they can go read it. But I don't think we have to go. Yeah, but I can't summarize it without without mentioning this stuff. So I'm just going to tell you it's it's triggering if, if this is the kind of stuff that triggers you. Uh, in, in 2022, there was a player who is now a former Northwestern player who went to the university to report sexual harassment in the football program. At that point, they may or may not have started an investigation. I believe they did start an investigation. The Daily Northwestern got a hold of the story and published it last week, uh, June, or sorry, July, July 8th, they published the story. So that was not last before that. And it covers hazing within the football program. And the hazing manifested as something that they called running, quote unquote running, where according to that player, if a, if a football player made a mistake during practice and it was predominantly underclassmen or freshmen, they would be restrained by a group of upperclassmen who were dressed in various purge-like masks and they would dry hump that victim in a dark room. There was also a whiteboard with a list of players with uh, the title over these players of runs giving or runs missed because predominantly this would happen around the holidays and something called Shrek's list, which is how they coded the list of players that needed to be under this. There's, uh, uh, the, there's also allegations that the, the coach... Um, Pat Fitzgerald, he knew about this 
because the way they would identify the players is they would clap over their heads. And there's video of him doing this clapping over their heads. Now, for the record, he completely denies knowing about this or knowing anything about it or that this clapping that he was doing had anything to do with this. So I'm going to get that out there, that he didn't know anything about this. That's what he's saying. But the accusation is that how they identify people was through this clapping. So that's the the basic outline of the story. There's also other types of hazing that was going on. There was some uh, racism I, I read as, as well. There was also racism. Uh, the car wash was a player was naked standing at the entrance of the showers. And to get in the showers, uh, guys would have to basically rub up against him and he would turn like a turnstile. Uh, there was racism uh, where a Hispanic player was uh, accusing the other players that that he was not allowed to basically be himself. Uh, he had to act white, essentially. Right. The quote from him, he he came out, it was uh, Ramon Diaz Jr., who was a lineman from 2005 to 2008. Quote, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could be any anything other than white. We never felt like we could be ourselves. We had to fit in by being white or acting white or laughing at our own people. And Diaz was diagnosed with PTSD after graduation. Mm-hmm. And he believes that the the abuse he had at Northwestern was the primary factor or was a major factor, according yeah. to the Daily Northwestern. Uh, I want to read a couple of statements, and then we'll we'll start talking about it from... This is from Northwestern's university football team, a statement that they released to the Northwestern community. Northwestern football players do not tolerate hazing. We want to reiterate that the representatives of the Northwestern football program, we do not tolerate hazing in any form. Hazing goes against our values of respect, integrity, and personal growth. We are committed to fostering a supportive and inclusive environment that promotes the well-being and development of every individual on our team. The recent allegations brought forth are exaggerated and twisted. It is disheartening to see that the allegations brought forth against our team have been exaggerated and twisted into lies. These fabrications have been made with the intention of harming our program and tarnished the reputation of our dedicated players and coaching staff. We firmly deny the validity of these accusations and stand united in our assertion. I'm sorry, stand united in our assertion that they do not reflect the true character of our team. And, and so that's I believe from, that was that was before the investigation finalized, right? Because I think there was a, a following statements after the report came out. This is July eighth, right? This is from think, a tweet from Adam I think Rittenberg. there was another statement. There was another statement after that. I think the president, um, Shield, so came president, out after that. Right. So the president came out with a statement because he initially suspended Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks after the initial investigation. And then he came out with a second statement stating that he misjudged it and then he fired him. So this is uh, the second, this is the statement from the president. Let me make sure that this is Northwestern President Michael Schiller writes about Pat Fitzgerald's suspension. This is from Inside NU, at Inside NU on Twitter. And this is the statement or part of the statement. I'm going to read the whole thing. You can find it on Twitter. As many of you are aware, yesterday we made public the executive summary of the investigative findings and detailed action steps regarding hazing within the Northwestern football program. 
Upon receiving an anonymous complaint from a student athlete in November 2022, the university acted prudently to immediately engage an independent investigator to perform a comprehensive review of the complaint, including outreach to current and former student athletes. After reviewing the report, I assessed it a two-week suspension for head coach Pat Fitzgerald, which went into effect immediately. However, upon reflection, I believe I may have erred in weighing the appropriate sanctions for Coach Fitzgerald. Okay, so then he fired him. So there's more to it. Again, you can you can find it on the internet. Yeah. There's the racism we talked about. So that's the basic story. So the question to the group is, you know, thoughts, comments, any history with you guys and hazing at all? Well, well, I mean, this is absolutely abusive to those kids. Um, it's, you know, these students abusing each other and the staff was aware of it. And there's, it's basically been alluded to that the coach was aware of it too. And it's allegedly, allegedly. Yes. And it's very disheartening that now we have these young people coming out of this with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there are other students, um, players on the team that have expressed suicidal ideation um, there's serious consequences to this. Yeah, and then what what I I I think about about when I read the story is that it cannot just be one school. I'm I'm I would be I wouldn't be surprised that this is just part of a culture in college sports or in in, in fraternity culture, and this is happened to be one school that came out under the light. Um, so the question uh, arises that. Is it something that's accepted in the, in the college culture in, or in sports, if you want? It's something that you go into as, as, a, as a freshman, you already ex- expect that you would be hazed in some form on some type, different severity or different, um, you know, rituals. But you already know as a freshman coming in that you will go through some, some form of hazing and it's just part of the culture. Not every, not every, I don't, I don't. I wouldn't say every. I, I wouldn't say every. I'd say it's it, you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that it's part of a general culture. It's not only just not Western. I you know I was uh I was <laughs> in track in college and my team didn't haze when I got in, but but we were and this the next segment we're gonna do is on you know motivations and the potential evolutionary motivation whether this is something yeah. ingrained in humans and. The reason maybe that I wasn't hazed is because the my team was not a strong coalition. And that's one of the theories behind hazing is that stronger coalitions tend to haze more. My team was sort of just a bunch of guys kind of put together, even though yeah. we were a Division One track program. Mm-hmm. You know, there weren't any scholarships or anything like that. We were just kind of walk-ons. And so we weren't a strong coalition. Whereas right. Northwestern scholarship players, uniforms, strong tradition. Football programs tend to be that way. And so they're much more prone for that unless there's oversight. Um, This is a form of bullying. Yeah. Do you think that the hazing at those other places rises to the level of this? We have no idea because it's not, it hasn't been outed. Right. But I would... It would be shocked if this wasn't happening somewhere else. Right, I, right. So it, it would be. It, it would. It would shock me more if if someone told me this wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the degree to which this is happening, yeah, this is this is overboard is probably uh, not a not a strong enough term. No, this is severe. This is this is way overboard. That you know, uh, David Sampson was on Levitard this week, and he said that they hazed rookies at the Marlins. But what they would do is they would have them dress up in. He didn't specify, but the way he described it was things that wouldn't be appropriate nowadays. So my guess is they would dress them up in drag and make them go get coffee or something like that. Right. Something to humiliate. Oh, so, them so, yeah, something it, to humiliate. Okay. But they're not dry humping them in the clubhouse. Correct. Right. Or they're so, not rubbing their naked bodies up against each other, forcing someone to get through the shower. Right. So we are saying that there's different severity in hazing, but are we agreeing that yeah. all all hazing by definition is bad? Is that what, what we are saying? Because I, I, I've heard, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I know. I've, I know in the NBA, for example, I'm not sure we call it hazing, but there's rituals, there's expectation out of rookies to do, I wouldn't say humiliating stuff, but almost like a teasing way that they will be the one buying pizza or getting the, the luggage. So I'm saying, so is, is it, is it something to be expected and is it the severity makes any difference? Right. I mean, it's yes. nothing sexual implementation, but is every hazing bad? Well, I think the intent of hazing in and of itself is to cause, and if we look at the definitions of what hazing is, it's to cause some type of harm or humiliation or cause someone to take risk or engage in pain to be part of a group. So hazing in and of itself has that negative connotation to it. I think that what we're trying to say is that there's different levels of severity to it. Right. I, th I think some, some people would call it, would call it a rite of passage. Um, mm -hmm. For you to be part of this community, you would have to go through X, Y, and Z because we all went through it as part of a legacy, right? Um, now, do these players, the upcoming, the rookies, if you will, do they see it as accepting it? Like, I will go through that this entire year and therefore I will be part of this group, regardless of the severity of the, the hazing. Sure, but does that give someone the right to sexually harass or sexually abuse someone? Obviously not. No, because that's illegal. Right? That, that's obviously no. not. Correct. No, but I'm going to take issue with the definition that you put up of hazing because, again, the next segment, we're going to talk about motivations mm -hmm. and theories into it. The guy that does this research has a theory and definition of hazing that is different than a little bit different. So, you know, when you're talking about with the levels of it, yeah, there's degrees to it. You know, you can, you can, you know, ask, you know, the, the, the rookie to go get you coffee because, you know, go get me coffee rookie. And there is dry humping someone and, and, you know, this, yeah. and, and there's that, that's sexual assault. If, if you went out and you did that at a bar, you, that's a, you get, you arrested. get arrested for that. Right. That if it gets reported. Right. But in those two examples, which one would cause psychological trauma? You know, that, that's what I'm trying to get us to. I mean, we, I don't want to get into this is acceptable. It's not acceptable. I want to get to which one is causing psychological trauma. Right. It depends. Yeah. I guess it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. it, it depends on how it's presented. Um, oh. Because, you know, you can get into a car accident and one person will get PTSD from it and one person right. will not. And PTSD sure. is one of these things where it's, there's a genetic component to it. 
some people are more prone to PTSD than other people. Not everyone that gets into a car accident gets PTSD. Correct. And you also have it, to take into account people's prior experiences as well. You also have correct. to take into account the level of support a person has, if they're able to talk about things that have happened to them. There's so many varying factors that go into whether or not a person will develop a post-traumatic stress disorder or not. Correct. And it's and it has the when you talk about support, it's the, the support around you at the moment too. So if you're in a situation like what's going on in Northwestern and everybody around you is rooting them on, sort of like uh with Jodie Foster, the accused. You ever saw that movie? The people from the Bar Banter podcast say I don't watch movies. You saw that movie. But I watch movies. And it wasn't a documentary for once. It was in the yeah. 90s. It's a movie. Mm-hmm. Jodie Foster with it. It's called The yeah. Accused. Anyway, it she was gang raped. Everyone around her is rooting these guys on. It's it's a similar sort of situation where you have, you know, you're you're not in a you're in a situation where you can't get you can't get away. It's coerced, forced into a situation. Everyone around you's rooting mm-hmm. the person on. Yes, that's a very that's a very stressful situation. It's perfect for a PTSD. Correct. And if we want to bring this into real world stuff and uh, the movie type things that have happened, because we know that this happens in the real world as well. For example, you know, not just at Northwestern where they were all engaging in this, but we have seen it um, about 10 years ago. There was a girl, a cheerleader that was beaten up by some other cheerleaders on the team and they were all cheering them on. They were videotaping um, and nobody goes to seek help. So we know that this happens outside of the sports industry. We know this happens outside of examples that are given in movies as well. Um, And it happens in the NFL. Yeah. What we remember uh, with the dolphins bullying. With the dolphins. Yeah. This is a form of bullying. It's a form of bullying. But um, again, according to this research, we're going to talk about it. Maybe a kind of evolution rather than the motivation for bullying, but it it is a form of that motivation. But there there's you know and I hate to say that it should be illegal because there's some opinions and I I'm not in that camp, but there there needs to be and and there's and I think that's the reason that these no tolerance policies just because there's something innate about having these newcomers come in where thing, but there's a level at which it crosses a mm-hmm. line. Where you know, go get me coffee or bring me bring me my food, and you know, get naked and let and take snaps. There's if it if it goes beyond to an illegal level, or 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 goes, it doesn't even have to get illegal. If it goes to a point where it starts to become detrimental to somebody's health, where you know, you wake someone up in the middle of the night and like, I want to, I want to, I want to drink. Go get me a bottle, you know, mm-hmm. like in a fraternity uh-huh. or something like that. You should, that shouldn't be allowed either because maybe the guy has a test in the morning like you shouldn't allow that but how do you police it well i mean you 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 set the tone zero tolerance i mean if you're athletic director of a team of college team you set the rules this is not tolerated and you know and the first time it happens you set an example somebody got fired somebody got dismissed from the team and you let everybody know this is what happens when you when you break the rules um the example the leadership has to come from the top Right um, now, there's a there's a there's a sense of secrecy in hazing, right? People not it's not like it's it's they don't know. It's like they people are not 
purview to what's happening in, in locker rooms, right? That's why coaches can claim I wasn't aware. Whether it's true or not, coaches would always say I wasn't aware because there's a sense of secrecy between the players, right? Correct. It's like the Vegas bubble of the locker rooms. Right, exactly. So now who's going to be the one who's going to be the, the, the whistleblower, right? How long has it been going for? Is it years? Is it is it the the, the senior went through it two years ago and then the, the sophomore went through it two years ago and then so on and so forth. So everybody has to go through it and everybody keeps their mind shut. Um, so setting the rules is one, but also having you know ways to 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 know it to find to find out. And I, I think not Western they they appointed somebody after the fact that had no uh, direct report to the coaching staff and that was supposed to be there just to you know, after the fact, obviously, to, to report if there's any sense of hazing going on. Right. Uh, sure. And I think it's easier said than done, Steph, because you also have a lot of group dynamics that go along with it and being part of the group and wanting to be part of it and not be rejected from the group. And the other thing that I was, as I heard both of you speaking, you know, what we see with some of these forms of hazing is essentially psychological torture. You have yeah. degradation, you have humiliation, you have dem- um, the control, you know, demonstrating they have control over everything you do. And also things like sleep deprivation. All of those things can break a person down psychologically and do constitute psychological torture. Yeah. Right. And I want to point out one thing about Pat Fitzgerald here and claims he didn't know anything. That that's fine. But the 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 answer is that he should have known. Um, because this is this is the captain of the ship doctrine. You go in at the beginning and go if you wanted a zero tolerance policy, right? You go in there and go at the beginning you go, I'm not gonna tolerate this, you can't do this. If anybody does this, I wanna know about it you come to me secretly or whatever. Yes, you can rat. That's fine. About this. About this, you can rat. Come to me. I'll take care of it. You're not allowed to do this. And the reason is because my job is on the line for it. And I'm not going down because you guys want to act like mm-hmm. Right? Because what happened to him, he may not have known. Let's, let's put that. But I find it hard to believe that this stuff was on a whiteboard somewhere in the locker room that he didn't walk up to. The <laughs> and he didn't know what that was about. Guys, what the what hell is, is Shrek a Shrek's list? list? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, he's just like, oh, I don't know. Shrek sounds fun. Like, guys, what's a Shrek's list? And then they'd be like, oh, coach, you know, it's like this thing where we like, you know, I, I just I don't know. It, it seems to me like negligence at at best, maybe. But he says he doesn't know. We'll take him at his word. But the the thing is, he should have. Yeah. And if you come in there and you try to be too much of a player's coach, they're going to take advantage of you. But there, you can't be too much of like a Mike Ditka guy either because you know, Ditka right. is too much of a bully. There's got to be some middle ground between the bully Ditka and the too much of a player's coach. I don't know Pat Fitzgerald. I don't know if he is a player's coach or not, but... We don't have enough information. We about don't that. have enough information about what he is, but you can't be too much of a player's coach because they're going to take advantage of you too. So there's got to be some middle ground where, you know, I'm not going to tolerate this. Come to me if this is happening. What the story tells us is that there there was definitely not a mechanism to report anonymously. That's right. Right. In every situation, they, there's a mechanism to report something and not put your name on it. Right. Yes. So if that had been going on for years, nobody felt comfortable enough to make a to make a report. Right? It is possible to staff, you know, and let me just equate this to other instances where people might not come out and report things like in domestic violence. Right. 
or things like in rape, there is a sense of embarrassment. There's a sense sometimes oh. that people feel guilt and it's, you know, they participated in it and they knew what they were getting into where they allowed it to continue to happen. And they might feel even through a reporting anonymously that they'll still be found out. Right. And so there's that. And sometimes they're concerned that if they do, if they are seen as the ones that have made that report, the consequences for them are going to be far more worse than just continuing through and hoping that the um, hazing or the abuse or other things that are going on aren't as bad as what those consequences would be. Right. It's easier said than done. Correct. That's why I guess, I guess, guys, I, I mean, I think it's important in that discussion that we, we go over um, PTSD symptoms, right? Because I, I feel like people may have had some trauma that they are uh, affected with in the you know in the, in the long run and not knowing that they're going through PTSD like uh the, the player that reported it I mean that that provided the information in the article Diaz he did say that he was diagnosed with PTSD and I think he mentioned that he was having nightmares and so on and so forth but there's a lot of different symptoms that people don't really describe you know uh, in a lay in a lay lay terms and a lot of them are have to do with you know avoidance people if we're to go in, in, in you know, uh, environment that may, that may make them relieve the, the trauma, right? He said he never didn't watch football for five years after he graduated because he was avoiding that stimulus, right? People also, they have, you know, uh, physiological responses, subtle responses, right? Anything that could remind them of that they, they, they have a, a literally panic attack in the moment, right? Um, and then they don't know why they're not sleeping. They don't know why they're not going that place, this place, and, and then they will live in a trauma, right? And then they have cycles of mood dysregulation or, or irritability or anger, and they don't know why until they go to therapy and they really the past trauma and they understand that they've been going to PTSD their entire life without knowing the reason why. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's not so clear cut a, a diagnosis because it goes with mood disorders, it goes with anxiety, it goes with uh, sometimes even substance use disorders because people self-medicate, you know? So right. I think... Uh, um, if we're talking about people that went to college and went through stuff that they never thought were hazing, but they're having situation where they can't be in, in public, they have social anxiety, and then you go to a therapist, you dig deeper, and you find out that you were, you've been going to PTSD your entire life. Um, and it, it may be different for, for you, for me, for Suzanne, for anybody else. People have the, the, the different symptoms differently. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people, too, just to add to that with the avoidance, um, sometimes they have this automatic response of dissociation where they feel like they're just kind of numb. They're feeling very robotic. They're walking around in a dreamlike state. They're not aware of some of the things they're doing. They're just kind of on autopilot as well, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is one of the um, concerns with post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways a person protects themselves psychologically. And it's an automatic response that they're not aware that they're doing. And that's treatment, right? We, that's treatment. Yes. People go to therapy. Some people are medicated. Uh, some people do both. You know, therapy um, is very effective for post-traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes people need a combination of both medication and therapy, but there are therapists out there, both at the master's and doctorate level that are trained to work with people, especially trained to work with people with post-traumatic stress disorder and people should seek them out. Yeah. And, and lastly, one thing I would add, that we sometimes we tend to forget is that for you to go um, of to suffer from PTSD doesn't mean that something happened to you specifically. It might have happened to a family member. 
you might have seen it on TV, right? You, people have had, I, I always uh, go back to the 9-11 uh, event. People who watch on TV experience PTSD years after that. Like couldn't secondary planes, trauma. Right. Couldn't go on planes, couldn't go in elevators, couldn't go into buildings because the, it was on TV 24-7, right? So it doesn't have to be up to happen to you for you to suffer from PTSD. So just keep that in mind. We're going to talk about the the research behind hazing and when i actually went and started looking into this i was surprised to be honest with you because i didn't expect to find an actual theory behind this but what i discovered was that there is actually one particular researcher who's de- dedicated his entire life of research to doing this kind of research although Samino, I hope I pronounced his name right. We've asked him to join us on the podcast. So far, we've been unsuccessful in having him do that, but maybe in the future at some point, we will have him on here to explain his theory to us. But we're going to go over three of his research articles on a theory that he has for hazing, which he believes is evolutionary. We're not, I'm not going to read these articles to you in detail or explain them in detail because that is extraordinarily boring and they're very detailed and very complicated to be honest. But what I am going to do is I'm going to explain the theory and what it is. But first I wanted to give the definition of hazing because Suzanne talked about it in the last segment and I said, I wanted to take exception to it and I don't exactly remember how she phrased it, but this is the definition. It wasn't an exact definition. It was it was a summary. Is that what I said? It was a, okay. I, no, I said I don't remember the exact, exact phrasing. Phrase, yeah. the exact I don't remember exactly what I said either. But <laughs> I, I think it's had something to do with you know making somebody. Um, In a sense, like you're imparting harm on somebody, psychological it's harm, imparting harm, or something. That was like part that. of it. That was right. one. But, but I, I don't think that that's what it is. So this is the this is the definition that he uses. From, from the 2011 article, hazing is defined here as the generation of induction costs, i.e. part of the experience is necessary to be acknowledged as a quote-unquote legitimate group member that appear unattributable, unattributable to group-relevant assessments, preparations, or chance. For example, the energetic cost of running while trying out for a men's track team is a product of group-relevant assessment. If the track team were to mandate that prospective members dress in women's clothing for the same activity, any additional costs, energetic or social, do not appear relevant to the group's task domain. Okay. So logically, hazing may also be manifest in unduly excessive assessment or preparation. Thus, group relevance encompasses both the content and the intensity of an induction experience. So essentially what he's saying is hazing is an induction exercise, and it's and its design and its purpose may be rooted in evolutionary experience. And what I'm going to explain here is something he calls automatic accrual theory. And he believes that this is something that comes from us just being human. Over, the, over time, people have grouped into societies what 
what he calls coalitions. And these coalitions have come to have certain benefits. Some of these benefits are when people join these coalitions, they get them automatically. So for instance, protection of the group comes automatically when you join them. Status of a group, uh, the property that you get when you join a clothing, things like that, weapons, stuff like that, you automatically get. Some of the stuff is not automatic. It happens as the as you learn some of the things that you get into the group. So knowledge that the group has, you don't get automatically. As you grow into the group, you learn the knowledge of the of the society that you grow into. Skills that the you know basket weaving or you know building cups or ceramic bowls or whatever. We're talking ancient times now, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so people may take advantage of these things, these automatic benefits by freeloading and hazing may be a way to prevent freeloading. And that's essentially what automatic accrual theory is, is a way to show that people that are coming in are not going to exploit their automatic benefits by being, having some kind of intrinsic worthiness in their group by making them do tasks that show that they have intrinsic value by making them do actions that are non-trivial and have a high cost for small benefit that they have this this value right. for, for their mm-hmm. group. I guess basically saying that they have to pay the dues to get, you know, to merit those benefits. Right. It, 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 essentially, it's it's an anti freeloading policy. Right. You cannot show up here and 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 have everything that we worked so hard for. Or yeah, like, you got to show that you're yeah. worth it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because you know, science makes predictions. Okay. So the predictions that automatic accrual theory make are that hazing is temporary, coercive, and coalitional, and that's what he was trying to test with this with these research studies. Okay. And so the first study he did was in 2011, he did it on university students at UC Santa Barbara. Again, I'm not going to explain the study, but he, it was a questionnaire study. He gave them groups and he split them into, the questionnaire split them into these different groups. Some of them were tight coalitional groups. Uh, For instance, one of them was uh, the Ice Walkers. And the Ice Walkers were a tight coalition that had a lot of automatic benefits and some non-automatic benefits. And some were non, not very tight coalitions uh, with not a lot of automatic benefits. And the theory is that the ideas, the predictions were that the groups that had, that were tighter, in other words, stronger coalitions with more automatic benefits would haze more than ones that were not tight yeah i mean that makes, yeah the, the the bigger i guess the bigger the, the coalition of the in our, in, our, in what we discussed the fraternity or the sorority or you know the institution i guess the the heavier the hazing would be or the more i wouldn't say harmful but probably more sophisticated or, or elaborate or, or whatnot so this initial study was criticized because it was done with university students and it's like well university students are not real world people fine that's not incorrect. So he replicated this study in 2013 with university students and a general population of the United States. And what did he find? Same results. Okay. And now 
if you're going to take that and go, well, okay, that's the United States. What if it's, what if it's just the United States people that like hazing? You know, maybe it's just the U.S. Well, he took it in 2019. He did the same study, refined some of the groups, and took it to another culture. So he did it with the United States. He did it with Japan, and he did two different organizations. He did a fraternity that's pro-hazing and a sorority that's anti-hazing. And the results, again, same, essentially, is that stronger coalitions tend to haze, and the more automatic benefits you has, the, the group had, the more they hazed. And another finding that they found was the people within the coalition that had more skills, they tended to haze more severely. So if you take that, say, a football team, the players that are better players would, in theory, tend to haze more severely. Now you're saying, well, okay, this is university students. This is like some group in Japan. These are fraternities that are going to haze anyway. Let me take this into the real world for a second. All right. Immigration. This is an anti-freeloading pol- anti theory, right? Evolution. Evolutionary mm-hmm. anti-freeloading policy, mm-hmm. right? We take in newcomers because we're afraid they're going to freeload on our automatic benefits, protection, status, uh, property, stuff like that. So we go in and we make them do these things to prove to us that they want to be part of our lives and they want to actually be part of our stuff. Look at immigration. Is that not a form of hazing? People come in. We don't just let them come in. What do we make them do? We make them take a test. We make them live here for a certain minimum amount of time right what else do we make make them fill out forms no seriously is this not a form of hazing uh well i mean and it's only uh, newcomers right because the theory says it's only newcomers it's temporary it's coalitional right and the stronger the coalition the more likely you are to haze the united states at any country let's not pick on the u.s any country, all countries have immigration policies, right? Countries are coalitional and they're strong nationalities, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all strong. We're all patriots, whatever country, right? We love our country and we have high automatic benefits, protection, property, um, status. The, being a citizen of the United States has a lot of status, mm-hmm. has a lot of protections, right? High automatic benefits. What do we make people do? Well, I'd say I'd say immigration is I'll use the word conditional. Like you, you have to do X, Y, and Z for you to get this. Now, it goes back to what we are pondering in the beginning. What is harmful? Who decide what's harmful or not? The person that that's doing the hazing or the the, the person that is hazed, mm-hmm. depending on the experience that they have, the way they live that experience, right? And so, is there a level of humiliation involved? Right, but the, but nowhere in the, the definition has anything no, no, no. to do with to your harm? point. To your point, the immigrant might feel that this is psychological trauma, right? And then the country might say, no, this is conditional. This is, you have to do X, Y, and Z. This is our term. That's our laws. So to your point, the person going through the process, the the victim, if you will, might live it as a hazing process. And I do want to add to that, Dimitri, I know that you're talking about the definition that was used within that research, but there are other more broader definitions of hazing that get incorporated by universities and whatnot. And they do use the terms pain, humiliation, degradation in those terms as well, which does connotate harm. Correct. But what I'm talking about is actual 
the actual science. I, I, this is, we did the, You're we did using the a definition that was used by a researcher. We're, 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 we did the, what did the university think of it segment last segment? What we're mm -hmm. doing now is what is, what is the psychological motivation to do this to people? And this researcher's theory is the reason that we do this is ingrained in us. It's not something that we're just doing that football teams and fraternities do because they think they're funny and they like it. This is something that's done cross-culturally outside of organizations and universities, outside of football teams and sports teams. This is something that humans do to other humans that they see as outsiders. And I can't disagree with this. I mean, look around whenever somebody comes into another place, they make them do things. And how is that not? A form of hazing. Hazing doesn't have to be humiliation. It could just be so, a task. So is dating a form of hazing? Dating like how? Well, here's this person. They want to date me. You're going to have to show me that you're worthy of me dating you. But it's, it's by direct. Okay. So hazing right? is, unidire hazing is unidirectional. Sure. Right? But, but dating is not dating is by, but I'm the one who chooses if I'm going to date someone or not. Right. If they want to date me, they've already made the discuss the decision that they want to date me. So now it's me no. whether or not, yeah, that I yeah, want to. I, date I, I mean, Susan, I mean, she somebody somebody comes to you and and it's go, you know, like it's you fine, fine, yeah, exactly. So and you can say, well, you're gonna have to show me this, you're gonna show me that, you know, maybe after you're gonna have to this, take me to dinner, that. you're gonna have to buy the drinks, you're gonna have to do that, right? You don't necessarily come out and say that, but it could be the point if. But you're not a coalition. So now you're saying that hazing has to be part of a coalition. Correct. It's coalitional. But it could that, be... That's the definition of hazing. But in essence, if I'm bringing someone into my life and I have kids, that is a coalition in essence. <laughs> but your kids I are not part sure of I have to make sure they're hazing. worried about my... They're, they're worthy of being part of my coalition. They're not only dating you. They're not in you and your, and your kids. Yeah. <laughs> and my dog. <laughs> but your kids, your kids are not hazing. Your kids are not part of the, the ritual. They're not... Part of no, that. I mean, I, I think it is your at some point kids do get to be part of that, but you understand what I'm saying, Stefan. Right. But again, right. it's they're also they also have to be in some way status beneath you. So, so yeah, I, I think what we all in think is that as part of the human experience, for you to accept someone into your life or into your workspace or into your team or into your business, your institution, intrinsically, not even thinking about it, and unconsciously, you already setting parameters for that person to reach once they do this once they do that once they can do this faster or they can do that better then they'll be worthy of my time you know they'll be worthy of mm -hmm. going for, for, to to lunch with me during break or they'll be worthy of being invited to the happy hour with the group whatever so intrinsically you're already setting processes to act to, to know when they're acceptable in the in, in the community right correct well call it call it don't call it hazing then I mean, the immigration policy, don't call it that. You know, when people come into- It's conditional, that's the word, it's conditional. When people come into, you know, because people are going to get offended by this, you know, like, oh I'm my sure. God, we're you're calling our immigration policy hazing because hazing has a negative connotation, right? Hazing mm -hmm. has this, you know, abuse kind of thing and people right. don't think about it that way. But, but I'll add one more thing about the immigration thing is with the hazing thing, people get pulled over and they're like, where are your papers? They get thrown in jail 
or they get abused by, you know, border patrol or whatever, is that not an additional kind of is that a abuse? form of hazing? Is that or a form is of a... abuse? No, that, that's form of emotional abuse. I, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, at the least, or discrimination, discrimination by authority, right? Targeting. I'm just saying, but like, look at companies, right? Companies bring you in on a lower level. You and an intern. You work coffee. your way up. <laughs> you got to work your way up. Work, work the copy machine. Yeah. They don't call it that. Right. 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 Well, but it's still a newcomer coming in, having to do things to prove their worthiness and work. It, it's just, it's one of these things where it's like, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's a no tolerance policy. You know, it's bad. It's terrible. You shouldn't, fraternity shouldn't do it. Football teams, sports teams shouldn't do these things. And nobody's going to disagree with that. But what I'm trying to point out here is this may be an ingrained thing in humans that we do. And it may not be something that we can consciously control unless that, unless we are policed. Right. And, and, I, and I don't think everything amounts to the, to the definition of hazing. I don't, I, 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 I think, I think people might live it a little bit different, you know, person to person. Somebody might, an intern, you know, in a firm or, you know, in a news industry, they come in, they're going to do all the scum work. They're going to be a lot, doing a lot of copy machine work, a lot of coffee runs. Right. But, but it's part of the culture of that, of that industry. Okay. Hazing culture. But, but again, we're talking about but degrees I, I, of it. So do you think this person or these interns, do you think that they, they leave it at, at, as hazing? They probably leave it, oh, no. I'm probably going to spend a year printing papers and the next year I'll get, I'll get a desk and the following right. year I'm allowed to publish something in a, because in a newspaper. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's not considered that because of the, the, the place that it's at. It's not considered that. But what I'm saying is from a, from a, from a policy standpoint, right? If you're just going to go in and blanketly say, you guys can't do this. What you're doing is you may you may be going against human nature. Whenever you try and police human nature with zero tolerance policy, you're going right. to fail. You know so what? what I'm saying is you may have to go in there with a different approach. Presidents and presidential uh, university presidents and things like that need to go in there with these the way they do hazing, you know, whatever they called it that the football team went and did like what did what did they send them to? Uh, hazing, hazing training awareness, hazing training or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that needs to change yeah. and be like, you know, this is something you guys are inherently. You know, and I get your to. point, Dimitri, because the research that um, was done by Semino or Camino, we're not sure how to pronounce his name at this point. Maybe of, he'll come on and tell us. Maybe he'll come on and tell us, right? Um, you know, he did go based upon an evolutionary theory and he's based out of the anthropology department that looks at these um, group processes and human evolution and development. And with the evolutionary theories in psychology, we look at how we adapt our behaviors to survive. And so if we look at hazing from that evolutionary standpoint and people who are engaging in this, it's really as a way to adapt to the environment, to be part of something, to survive in the group, because we don't want to be rejected from the group. Right. You know, right? I have the perfect, perfect example that I guess Dimitri might, might, might get it. The medical education culture in this country. If you go straight to residency, there's echelon, first year, second year, third year, fourth year. Yeah. And to your point, 
now things have changed in the past few years that is being policed, right? It's being there's now there's like things that you're not allowed to do anymore by the ACGME uh, guidelines. You cannot force somebody to work 24 hours, right? You have to give them time to rest, right? You cannot, you know, have them do stunt work all the time. And then because it caused psychological trauma, some people burn out. Unfortunately, there's so many every few months there's somebody died by suicide in the residency and medical errors right medical (laughs) errors happens people are are you know closing surgeries with with you know devices inside of them so people fall asleep in surgery so anyway it's been to your point as a part of evolution we are looking at stuff differently nowadays than we did 50 years ago right now Steph, can I tell you something? Policies change I, with time. Can, so can I tell you something about this this forty eight hour policy or whatever? You, the hell it was. you did it. Anybody else will do it? No. Okay. No, let me tell you about it. <laughs> good. Good. I I started residency in two thousand two. That policy started two thousand three when I finished my first year. So you that's know, psych psych's first year is medicine, right? And then after that, it's it's psych. Uh, we never do like 2003 after your first year, you never do those kinds of days anymore. It's really, you never really do a hundred hours. There are first years when you do those hours, but surgical residents do crazy hours, hours in a row, hundred hours a week and stuff like that. Now the rule. So after my first year is when they instituted those hours. You're not allowed to do more than like 70 hour weeks or 80 hour weeks. You can't mm-hmm. do more than 48 hours in a row without a four hour break. And I would talk to the surgery residents after that year. None of them were doing those things. They were still doing 100 hour weeks. They were still doing 72 hours. And and they were writing on their sheets, their check in and check out, that they were doing eight hour weeks. Yeah. And they were told by their things, if you write down that you, if you're writing down the actual amount, we're going to get rid of you. They were still doing this stuff because it's inherent within us. And I get it. I get it. It's wrong. But my point is, if, if you, if you approach it from a, my point is the approach. If you approach it from a, you approach it from a punitive point of view, don't do this. It's bad. As, as opposed to a cognitive psychological point of view of it's in, it's inside you. We know you want to do this because it's part of who you are as a person. Right. But here are the reasons why you shouldn't do this. And here are the steps that we are going to take and what you should take and what you should look at when you start to feel. And that may be a better policy rather than, it's a zero tolerance policy from the from Northwestern University because right. we got caught doing this thing and Sports Center has it on 24 hours a day and we're going to look tough because toughness is the American way. It's just because it doesn't no, no, work. You, you well, have, I think you have, I think you're right in the essence. Do you want to work or do you want to look tough? No, you have to educate people, right? You, you can if you're telling them don't do that, you have to tell them the reason not to do that, right? You cannot just say you can't do that. But they but don't you, do that. They don't give a shit. Well, they should. I think we know that. And that's my and, point. And Dimitri, what you're saying about the zero tolerance policies, we know that they're not extremely effective. And many times with zero tolerance policies, people get punished for things that they should not because there's a zero tolerance policy. Like if we look at the bullying policies in school, if we look at the 
various policies in the school system that are zero tolerance. A lot, there are times where there is a child who is doing something for a reason, but now they're getting punished because of the zero tolerance policy. Right. Nobody's looking at the reason why. Correct. That. Right. They, 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 Putting it into the context that. and seeing what's right, really right. going on. Right. No. So basically we're saying it has to be something more systematic than you can do this. Mm-hmm. You've got to have some kind, some sort of form of education. The reason why what you do can cause harm and why not to do it. Not just saying, oh, you can do that. Right. And, and, and finding why you need to do that. Why is the reason that you feel like people have to go through hazing? What's the human thinking behind it? What is, is it part of insecurity? What is it? Listen, so if we go to social psychology and we look at justifying the reasons why we do things, okay? In, in essence, we operate on two principles. We like to be right and we like to feel good about ourselves, right? So if we go but with those two principles, of we like to be right, we like to feel good about ourselves. All of our thinking and reasoning and our justification and rationalization of our behaviors come from that. Because we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to feel uneasy. When we become aware of a discrepancy between what we're doing and our own values and beliefs, right, we get this unpleasant feeling. If we want to get technical, it's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. And yeah. we don't like that. We have to reduce that dissonance we'll somehow. Yeah. And so people who go through these initiation processes, they found in the research that they are saying it was completely worth it. The group is the best. And they're trying to over justify the amount of effort they put in for the cost. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that comes from the sense of they need to continue to feel good about ourselves and knowing that they did the right thing. But also, we also see the group dynamics where they don't want to be rejected from a group because when you get rejected from a group, you feel bad about yourself. Which is then again justified by saying that they went through this and the group is worth it and this is why and now you're going to go through it. But you also have group cohesiveness and if the hazer doesn't haze other people, then they are not doing what is the group norm, right? And when you go against group norms, right, these are the unspoken rules and ways of behaving and thinking within that group. When you go against that, Many times you will face rejection from the group. Now, if a person typically goes along with a group most of the time, they, they kind of get a pass every now and then to go against what the group wants to do. But I think when it comes to things like hazing and whatnot, I don't think those passes work. I think that a person will face pressure from the rest of the group to haze these other people, otherwise face rejection. And then it's up to that individual hazer to decide if they are going to be rejected from the group or if they want to continue to be part of it. And most of the time people will want to belong because they already went through all of the initiation in the past and feel that it had to then be worth it. So they're going to stick with that group and then they're going to engage in hazing as a result of the unspoken pressure put on them by the group. That's my take. What I'm saying is if the upperclassmen or the higher ups in in a group don't follow the hazing, they don't want to do it anymore. They are not committed. Shouldn't they be hazed then? Why is it only? I think they'll be. I'll think they'll be ostracized from the group. Ostracized, but not hazed. No, I think they'll just say you're no longer part of us. But not hazed. No, typically they are kicked out of the group. So hazing is typically for incoming newcomers, temporary, 
so that it so that so that you can it's an accrual it's a because the purpose of it is right. to become part of the group correct right. it's, it's a rattle right. passage once you yeah. once right. once you pass it then you don't need to be his anymore so that correct so that you can gain the benefit so that you can show that you're beneficial for the automatic things right. that you're getting but once you get those automatic things and you pass that then it's a different it's a different type of shunning it's right. not a, I mean, not a I guess you, you would be no, at that point. You're not going to be hazed at that point once you're part of the right. group. But if you go against Correct. the group, you are done with the group. You're rejected. It's, it's a different kind of. Right. Right. You're shunned. It's not a hazing thing. Correct. Right? So then people are more likely then if they're part of the group and they don't want to do what the group wants to do, they're either going to face the pressure to conform to the group and remain right. in the group. Otherwise, right. see you later. And you are no longer part of us. But it's not hazing. So the theory, I think the theory is right. I think he's right about this theory. So again, when you're trying to do these, you know, I think we're spinning, we're going in circles here. I you think know, we're all kind of saying very similar we're things. We're saying the same thing. I think know, just anything. reasonings behind it and some of the other dynamics also come into play. Yeah. 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 And And that's why I don't think, and my prediction here is that this is not going to work at Northwestern. Just like it doesn't work at any other university, hazing is done on the DL and it's going to happen. It may, it may happen. It may work in the short term because they're going to have a monitor in the locker room that's going to sit there and with a pencil and pad and walk around and make sure, but it'll be done in some other way. I, I do think it's, it, you know, there might be, there should be example of, of institution or if you want to say in college, there's, there should be at least one college that doesn't tolerate and it doesn't happen. It cannot just be all of them. It could be the, a lot of them, but I don't think there's got to be one that's exemplary and, you know, I've got some very good moral standing and it's not happening there. There's no way. There is There is so many schools and so many um, lettered um, Greek fraternity or Greek fraternities or sororities and yeah. organizations that at least some form of it, however minor it is, you know, like... And I think the hazing is different as well when it comes to fraternities and sororities. I mean, listen, we're calling it hazing, but I don't mind. I might initiation, be, right? I, yeah. I, I might be opposed to that opinion, you know. But I don't. I wouldn't mind having, you know, some kind of rich or cultural initiation that doesn't have to be harmful. You know, it doesn't have to be harmful. You might have to, for your first year, you might have to engage in. I don't know, in some kind of charity or you, you might have to work some kind of Here's event. so many volunteer hours. Volunteer in a hospital or volunteer in this and that. or That's fine by me. I mean, if you want to earn your right to be in a sorority, you have to do 20 hours of, of charity, you know, per, I don't know, semester. But that's, that's fine. That's not hazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, it is, but it's- It could be, hel it could be healthy. Helpful hazing. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, Suzanne, you need to go get my coffee. You're a newcomer to this. Dimitri. <laughs> See ya. Have a good day. <laughs> Mental health tip of the day time. Day full of hiccups? Need a shake-up? Listen up. It's Dr. Bick and Dr. DeGrasse Mental Health Tip of the Day. Of course, brought to you as usual by nobody yet, but 
maybe one day again. I hope somebody, I hope there will be somebody named nobody. So we can actually say it's so good to can, nobody. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if I'm it was great. brought to you by nobody? Nobody will be somebody to us. <laughs> <laughs> a company named nobody, nobody. <laughs> that would be great so today's tip of the day is that everybody worries but worry is usually the fear of the unknown but worrying doesn't take away your troubles of tomorrow it really only takes away your peace for today so when you worry about everything that's going on and worrying about what's going to happen and everything all you're really doing is you're ruining your day in the moment and this is going back to a technique that we've tried to talk about here before i think and psychologists do this a lot and i guess suzanne you can talk about this is mindfulness being in the moment you can do this for anything you do you can do this for reading eating food walking just Anything. think about what you're doing in the moment when you're worried sit down consider where you are that's only just one technique there's a ton of other anxiety techniques but mm -hmm. mindfulness and, and considering where you are is just one of them but worrying about the future is just going to ruin your today and that's your mental health tip yeah i'll add you know you know the the famous say the present is a gift mm -hmm. So stay in the present, you know, it's a gift. It's not, you know, if you if you ruin it, you lose it. So I agree with that. Yeah. You can control what's happening in the present moment. Most of the time people worry, they worry about things they can't control. Mm -hmm. Right, right, by and, definition. Yeah, yeah. And they worry about could, the what ifs. Right, because if you could control it, you wouldn't worry about it. You wouldn't worry about it. about it, correct. Right, so uh, worrying about the things you can't control ruins everything that's going on in your day today so that's your mental health tip that's our podcast thank you all for listening this far into it and completing the podcast remember written reviews are what we uh, look for they are the best thing you can do for us because they tell us what we do well and what we don't do well and that's what we would appreciate the most thank you guys again but if you'd like we'll to share, if you'd like to post, if you'd like to tag us, feel free to do so too. Absolutely. Yes, we are on all the socials. Thank you guys. And we'll uh, see you next time. Take care. Bye. The previous podcast represented the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graaf and the guests. It should not have been taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.